Thank you for downloading this sermon. We hope you've been blessed by this ministry. If you'd like to give back, please invest in the future of Clearnote Church through our capital campaign, Faithful Through All Generations. To make a donation, visit clearnotebloomington.com slash give. Please open up your Bibles to Psalm 103. Next week we'll start our Advent series. Advent means uh, the coming and it always is our time of focusing on the coming of Lord Jesus. So come, come, Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel. Uh, but this week is uh, one week before Advent, and we will this week turn our attention to Psalm 103. Uh, a little story for those of you who uh, might be interested. Many years ago, back in 1991, I got a, a letter from a church in Bloomington, Indiana. I didn't know that there was such a place. I just thought there was uh, uh, Gary, you know. I'd lived in Philly and then moved to Chicago, and so there was Gary, Indiana. I think I'd been to a Notre game, Notre game, Notre, Notre, Notre Dame game, not Notre game Dame. Oh, man, Okay. And uh, so I got this letter, and, and uh, they were looking for a pastor, and I wasn't looking for a church, but we needed a break, so we came. And uh, eventually, they, they decided they wanted me to be their candidate. And so I had to choose a sermon. And I had just preached uh, on this text, Psalm 103, and, but I'd also preached a sermon on suffering and God, God's wisdom in the suffering that we undergo and how he uses it for our good. And so I decided this church was in terrible turmoil. They'd lost hundreds of people in the two years before, and they were in such terrible condition that they warned me that they didn't know if the church was viable, the search committee. That was the word they used, viable. And uh, so I had selected this, uh, this sermon on suffering because I felt like what the people needed was to hear that God was at work in them, in the suffering, and it was not outside of his knowledge or his, his, uh, his wisdom and care for them. So Mary Lee and I had a friend come to visit us. It was my friend, and uh, he was a church planner, and, and he, not too much in the world was something that he didn't think he knew about, if you understand. And he came in our house, and the first thing he said was, Bales, that's what he always called me. He was a big athlete. He played uh, football for uh, University of Colorado. And Bales, how can you stand living here? And it, you know, it's a little town of 1500 called Partyville, right? And uh, Mary Lee disliked him from that moment. That's all he had to say for her to dislike him. And it, it takes some doing to have Mary Lee dislike you, you know. She's put up with me for a long time. <laughs> it's funny. Okay. So he was up there. He preached to our congregation, and then uh, it was time to leave. And so I told him about what I planned to preach at the candidating sermon in a few weeks. And he looked at it. And he said, no, he said, this would just be depressing to them. You don't want to preach this sermon. People want to be encouraged. Well, he knew 
because he, he was the kind of man that knew. And so I, I threw out that sermon. And then I went looking for a sermon, and I thought this sermon was just so encouraging. And so I preached this sermon. It was a bad mistake. It was a bad mistake. Everybody in the church was disgusted with this sermon. Now, it had nothing to do with the text or, or with what I had said. It had to do with the fact that here these people were in such a crisis. And I came in and was just all positive and sweet and happy and, and everything. And, and, and they thought, dude, do you know anything about us, let alone care about us? And it was interesting. It was the one thing everybody in that church agreed on, which was this was a lousy effort on my part. Well, it's good for us. It's good for us. But I learned a lesson that day, which is depend on God. Don't depend on man's wisdom. Uh, they needed the sermon I was going to preach to them, and I didn't do it. So that's one of many failures. If you want to know more Come talk to me anytime, I'll tell you my failures. But the best time to come with a pastor is actually Monday, because Monday is the day you give yourself to your failures and get depressed. So if you want to come over tomorrow, you know, I'll be very, very eloquent about my failures. All right, you don't have to pay for that one. Okay, let's read Psalm 103. A Psalm of David. Bless the Lord, and I'm going to read it from the King James because I think there are a few texts in the Bible we should know from the King James, and I like this one from the King James because it says instead of, as a father has compassion on his children, it says, like as a father pitieth his children, and that word pity is, is just perfect, Okay. A Psalm of David, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all thine iniquities, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction, who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. As for man, his days are as grass. As afar of the field, so he flourisheth. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him, and his righteousness unto children's children. To such as keep his covenant, and to those that remember his commandments to do them. 
The Lord has prepared his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom ruleth over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Bless ye the Lord, all ye his hosts, ye ministers of his that do his pleasure. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This is the word of the Lord. Three sections to this psalm, verses 1 to 5, section 1, in which David speaks personally of God's goodness to him as a man. Section 2, verses 6 to 19, in which King David speaks of God's goodness to the people of God corporately, to all of us together. And then section 3, short, verses 20 to 22, in which David calls all creatures, the angels, everyone everywhere in God's universe, to praise the Lord. Have you ever talked to yourself? Some of us have a habit of talking to ourselves on occasion. Uh, I think the best illustration for this may be at the final seconds of a basketball game. And it's tied, and there's a, there's a foul called, and, and so a guy gets free throws. So he makes the first one, ties it up, say. And then the second one, they can go ahead and get the win. And if you watch him, he's got this ritual that he goes through. You know, he touches his shoulder, he touches his ear, he go, you know, he's like, a, like, you know, like the first base coach, you know, and, that, and bounces it three times and touches it, bounces three times. But if you watch his lips, his lips often will say things. We don't know what he's saying, we can't hear them, but undoubtedly what he's saying is, make the basket, idiot. That's probably the same thing he says every time he throws a free throw. You know, he speaks to himself and he leads himself by the words that he says to himself. And that's how David begins this psalm. David begins by saying, bless the Lord, O my soul. So he's about to do it. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul. Bounces the ball three times, right? Okay. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. So David says to himself, this is the work I'm setting out to do. Do it. Everything in me, do it. And then he says, bless his holy name. So the first thing that David is thankful for is the holiness of God. I wonder if you are thankful for God's holiness. Have you ever thought of what it would be like if God were not holy, if he were like every other God that there's ever been? Every other God of man is not holy. You know, you read across history the, the, the idols that people have created, and they're not holy. You know, there's a huge Hindu temple right near my mother, where I grew up, up in Chicago. <laughs> you drive in and look at that Hindu temple. <laughs> Yuck. It's awful. You know, The gods of the world are not holy, but God is holy. There is no sin in him. And I wonder if we're thankful for that. I think we should be because it's such a relief after living in your skin. You live in your skin and don't you just get suffocated by the straying and and, and the wandering and the eyes and the mouth and what the mouth says. And then he is holy. 
He is perfectly holy. And David starts there, bless his holy name. Uh, The name of God is God. You know, we say the everlasting father and we think we're talking about our dads and that helps us think of God. No, 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 no. God is the everlasting father. And we're only fathers insofar as we reflect his fatherhood. So the names of God are God. So when he says his holy name, you could also say his name, holy. All right? Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. So again, David goes into this repetition. He's gearing up for the work he's going to do. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. So thanksgiving and blessing to God require us to have good memories. So now he's going to list them. Forget not all his benefits. And we start with verse 3, who pardons all your iniquities. Listen, if you do not have a life that is absolutely centered around your thankfulness to God for his forgiveness of your sins, you're not a Christian. You're not a Christian. Because the identifying mark of a Christian is gratitude for the forgiveness of sins. That's it. And by the same reckoning, what is it that unites Christians all over the world? You can go anywhere you want, and you know when you're dealing with a Christian. Why? Well, because Christians live in the joy of forgiveness of sins. And so it makes us humble. It makes us very, very tender and merciful towards real sinners. We never look down on them. We might slap them, but we don't look down on them. We just slap them because we know that we need to be slapped. You know, come on, back to reality. Pop, 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 pop. You know? (laughs) All right, not slap. Caress. Is that better? Facebook generation. So we think about the first thing that David says, and it's not accidental, who pardons all your iniquities. He forgives all your sins. It's an amazing thing that a holy God would forgive sins. It's not an amazing thing that a holy God would require you to to pay to have masses said for your dead relatives. That's the kind of God that, that, that people have always been making up, that, you know, you can buy him. You know, it's all about you doing works that are meritorious and, you know, but not this God. This God forgives sins. Forgives. Forgives. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Number one, who pardons all your iniquities. Number two, who heals all your diseases. Now, you know that one of the defining things about my childhood was my parents anointing my brother Danny with oil for him to be healed. They were convinced that since God commanded it, that he would do it. And he wasn't healed. A year later, after remission, he died. And so is that a denial of this promise of Scripture, of this thanksgiving? It's not a denial. Why? Well, once you reorient yourself and think in terms of God's complete holiness and the fact that he told Adam that 
the day he ate of the forbidden tree, the fruit of the forbidden tree, he would surely die. Then you realize that God owes us nothing but death and damnation. That is God keeping his word. The day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so whether God heals us in this life or the next life, it's his mercy. That we have any life after death is his mercy. And so many diseases are terminal. But many terminal diseases are what? Are healed. (laughs) You know, it happens all the time that God heals us, our, our diseases, and not just sniffles. God heals our depression. God heals our pain. If you haven't listened to uh, the thingamabugger of the hoojimajiggy that What's-Her-Face did, you really need to listen to that because it's a wonderful testimony to God healing Katie, our, our church secretary. What, what, what's the title of it? Monumental. Monumental is the podcast, and your one is called what? Um, Oh, handful of pills. Okay, all right, okay. You should listen to it. What a wonderful testimony to God dealing with terrible, terrible pain. And so God does heal most of our diseases we have in our life. Have you ever thought about this? We get sick constantly and God heals and heals and heals. But let's forget about the, 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 the things that are more physical and let's think about our particular uh, our particular sins, all right? Sin can be a disease. Sin can be a disease that you catch. Let's think about all those who are abused as children and who grew up not to abuse. Now, that's a disease that's healed. You think about your propensity to particular sins and how God has given you victory over some of your sins. God is healing constantly. Constantly, God is healing us. We have freedom from depression. We have freedom from particular sins that we're susceptible to. And it's amazing. Don't ever believe the world that passes laws against reparative therapy and tells you that it's abuse for people to call you to repent of homosexuality. My goodness, I can't think of anything that you, that you would more want to repent of than homosexuality. It's so... It's so narcissistic, it's so monocultural, (laughs) you know, men and men, oh, is that depressing. I mean, honestly, listen, God heals our diseases. He heals them. Think of the prodigal son. He's off slopping pigs, and God heals his disease, and God, what does he do? He says, my father's servants are eating better than I eat, you know? I think I'll go back there and say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and earth. I'm no longer worthy to to be called your son. Make me a servant in your household. What an incredible work that God did. Listen, you who are young and growing up in your Christian homes, and you know that your heart has not been born again by the Spirit, and so you're angry, you're a hypocrite, you're, you're, you're repressed and oppressed and depressed and suppressed because you know there's a gap between Jesus Christ and you and your parents are with him. Listen, 
Every one of us in this church has been born again by the Spirit of God. God has healed our diseases. He's healed our our having been abused. He's healed our depression. He's healed our lust. He's healed our drunkenness. He's healed our doping. You know, I I had the beauty of introducing two high school uh, people from South High School in the foyer this morning, you know, and, and one says to the other, yeah, I kind of recognize you. And the other says, well, I, I don't really recognize you. But then, you know, I was, I was always stoned, <laughs> you know. Isn't it wonderful to be able to smoke dope? You know, you can just pass through life without knowing that life is passing through you. You don't even recognize people. And then God comes on. Stephen talked about this in his Sunday school class. His Sunday school this morning was about marijuana. And, and Stephen talked about how God changed him so that when he became a Christian, he stopped smoking dope. And he said all his friends, all they ever did was smoke dope. God heals our diseases. God heals our narcissism. And that's a curse, right? <laughs> God heals our vanity. God heals our smoking dope. God heals our sexual perversions. God, God gives us new life. And the world doesn't like that. The world wants to call. E- each of these things we do, they want to say, well, that's good. You know, that's just you. That's you. That's you. That's you. And I think, dude, is vanity you? I mean, are you vain because that's who you are? I mean, on one level, yeah. But on another level, how, how utterly disgusting. He heals all of our diseases. Listen, come to Christ and ask him to heal you. You're no different than anybody else in this church. The only difference between us is what our diseases are. And God will forgive you. He started out, David did, and he said, He forgives our iniquities. He forgives our sins. Who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. So it's not just today that the diseases are healed, but God purchases our salvation from hell. He redeems us from the pit. I'm so, so tired of people who are so small and insecure and so um, they think that the world should, should be as small as they are. And so they're just absolutely opposed to God redeeming anyone. What they want Jesus to be about is showing other people what a, what a moral person is like. And so they remove God redeeming our life from the pit. And instead, God shows us through his son all we can be. And it's like, when I look at Jesus, I'm not thinking, oh, just think all that I can be. I'm thinking, oh, look look at all I'm not. And then this is precious to me because he redeems our life from the pit, from his judgment. He purchases us. And, And how does he purchase us? Come on. Through the blood of his son. In other words, God has skin in it. It's through the blood of his precious son that he purchases. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion. (laughs) 
What's a crown? What's a crown? When I worked for Chicago Northwestern Railway in the Proviso Yards in Chicago, all of us had crowns. If we were ever caught without our crowns, we could get fired instantly. And we also had, I had to wear my safety glasses. I had a little cotter pin. And I drilled a hole in, in, in the bill of my, my hard hat, and the cotter pin was on my safety glasses, so when I was welding or cutting, I could flip the glasses up with the cotter pin so I could see better. <laughs> and of course, I got a big thing of molten metal in the corner of my eye one day because I was underneath cutting. <laughs> Stupid. But, you know, I hated safety glasses, right? All of you hate safety glasses. That would drive you crazy. Only thing worse are safety shoes. Cut off the top of your toes. So we all had crowns. And listen, there were some crowns that weren't real glorious. And some crowns a little more glorious, boy. And there were some crowns that were just plain glorious. So it was green or orange or yellow or red. I don't know what I had, but it was the low. And then there was, there was blue. And you obeyed blue crowns. And then there were white crowns. And when white crowns came around, you just trembled. So one day I was preaching up in Wisconsin and in walked this older couple and we got to know them afterwards and found out they were retiring up to Partyville uh, from uh, Chicago. I said, well, so what work were you in? And he was a very humble man. He said, well, he said, I work for Chicago Northwestern Railway. I said, really? I did too. Where did you work? He said, I worked at the Proviso Yards. I said, seriously, I worked at the Proviso Yards. What did you do? And he says, well, I was over all of the freight car repair. Really? I was a car knocker. I was an air brakeman. Are you serious? Well, it turns out he was the top white hat when I was the bottom orange or yellow or whatever it was, my color. And he, by God's mercy, became a believer And God gave him to me as an elder and his wife. And they just love the church. I went up for her funeral, I think, a year or two ago. We all have crowns in our jobs. It may be who wears what color. It may be hard hats. It may be. But there's status all over America. Don't you ever forget it. Okay, Americans think we've gotten rid of status. Oh, no. <laughs> and God doesn't crown us with a certain amount of money. He doesn't give us uh, a Swiss hood. Okay, he doesn't give us eyeglasses. But God crowns us with what? With loving kindness and compassion. who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The hatred of old age in our country is visceral and the pride of youth. And for many years I saw it, but I was young and I just shut up about it. And now that I'm old, I think I shouldn't open my mouth about it because now I'm old. 
So there are always reasons to overlook lies. But the fact is, as you get older, God satisfies your years with good things in a way that renews your youth like the eagle. Eagle lives, what, 100 years? And so your youth is renewed. And you say, well, how does God do that? Well, you remember Bob Dylan's line, right? Come on, Jody, where are you? No. Well, that's a good one. That's, as soon as Heather was born, we went in the, I went in the living room and put on Forever Young. Forever Young! Oh, Forever Young! Maybe! Now, this one is, ah, but I was so much older then. I'm younger than that now. And that is a perfect description of the Christian life. Think of how many of you, very, very young, are so old. It's one of the horrible things about the sexual perversions of our country, that we have young people who are so jaded sexually that they have no choice in loving a woman. Any of you read Tom Wolfe's essay, Hooking Up? It's so sad that we've corrupted, we've made a cesspool out of sex, so that who would ever write a song about a man loving a woman today? You know, all our songs today are, I just love myself. That's what it means to be emo. Right? And screamo emo is somebody that cuts themselves. <laughs> I mean, it's a little bit. Christians have restored to us the world's beauty. We have love restored to us. We have diversity. True diversity. There is not a more diverse group in Bloomington than this group right here. And I know, because I know you all. <laughs> and it's beautiful because we love each other. We have diversity. We have pluralism. We have true intellectual honesty. Instead of political correctness, we have freedom of expression. Imagine that. We have sexual passion for our wives. Imagine that. And all these things are the way that a jaded world in Christ and in his forgiveness has their youth renewed. You see this? Humility is rejuvenating. Humility changes our lives so that we have given back to us all the things that we become jaded over. And so if you know a godly older person, they are drop-dead gorgeous, drop-dead happy, drop-dead funny. <laughs> and they are the perfect snowflakes. Because the older you get, the more your youth is renewed and you're not conscious of yourself, and so you just do what God made you to do, and you don't think about it. Your youth is renewed. Remember how I tell you that Rita was just the weirdest person on the face of the earth. You heard her refer to Rita earlier. She called herself Rita's what? Okay, so they all called themselves Rita's rabble. 
There was nobody in this town, even the newborn baby wasn't as young as Rita Cuffey because her youth was renewed and renewed and renewed and renewed. And so she was translated into the presence of the Lord. And when she got to heaven, she had her umbilical cord on. God had sewed it back on. And she was just absolutely beautiful and filled with joy. This is true. This is my testimony, and God as my witness knows that I speak the truth about Rita Cuffey. The youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. This is something that we don't want to think about because we want to think that we've evolved past uh, oppression. I was talking to a young man who's a new Christian in this church who's a Jew, and he was describing to me how Martin Luther thought that uh, Jews should be put into a particular place and, and then some of them should be killed. And then he looked at me and, and said what he had been taught to say, which is, you know, with great confidence that he was saying something true, he looked at me and he said, I mean, you just can't go around killing people. And I just was thinking, dude, do you have any idea what you just said? I mean, I know it's a manner of speaking, but would you stop and think before you speak? You know, I said, of course you can go around killing people. And he looked at me and his face was all confused. What is this pastor saying to me? And I said, dude, what is abortion? It dwarfs all of the murder of your race all through history. Every year it dwarfs it. You're going to sit there and smugly tell me you can't just go around killing people? Of course you can. That's what we have always done as the human race. And all that changes, as is, is, uh, Jody's father-in-law said to me this morning, is who's killing whom and for what reason and how they justify it. You know, what we were talking about earlier. So yes, you can kill people, but guess what? Christians are thankful for what? We are thankful that God vindicates the oppressed. We count the little babies on South Walnut. And we take them seriously. Nobody else does. But who cares? God keeps track of them. It says in Scripture that the day will come when all the, all the blood in the ground will come out and testify you ever thought about that? I think about that when I go past that sewage treatment plant on, uh, on, on 37. And I just have visions of all the blood that's been processed by that plant coming up out of the ground to witness against Bloomington, Indiana. And God, Christians take great comfort and joy in the fact that God is on the side of the oppressed. God is on the side of the little boys under the oppression of Muslim men and little boys under the oppression of homosexual men here in America, little girls under the oppression of their fathers. God is on the side of the poor in Africa under dictators. God is on the side of all the countries around the world that America's oppressed. God doesn't judge the way we do. We make slight judgments about ourselves, our neighbors, our country, and harsh judgments about everybody else. God doesn't judge that way. God knows the oppressed, and he vindicates them. So you think about the people that you think are abandoned to having been oppressed by a pastor, by an elder, by a youth pastor, 
And that man will not escape. He will not escape. He will not. Do you hear me? Because why? Well, because God vindicates the oppressed. He establishes justice. Now, that man may be forgiven by God, but God doesn't forget his victims. And the God, we thank God for that and worship him for it. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. Isn't this interesting to give thanks that God reveals himself to us? We don't think that. We, we take it for granted that we have this book that displays the character of God. We just take it for granted. But what if God had never revealed his holiness, his character? What if he had never revealed his son to us? Where would we be? We think God owes us revelation. That's why everybody talks about, you know, what about the man that's never heard about Jesus? You know, as if God owes us his son. He does not owe us a thing. And listen, everyone in here this morning has been given an incredible gift that you know about Jesus Christ. It's unbelievable that we know the name of Jesus. It's unbelievable that God has revealed his character to us. How has he revealed his character to us? In the Ten Commandments. It's unbelievable privilege to know the law of God and to know that a man taking advantage of a young girl is wickedness according to God. That's a privilege. America's in the process right now of of removing all her privileges. She's cast the moral law of God out, and she's determined to love what is vile. And so God will give her over. And there will be people who have no idea what is the nature of sexual perversion. But we know. I remember a few years ago, there was a celebration of the birthday of an economist at Yale. And so this man's wife invited his colleagues from around the country, other other economists he was friends with, to come. And the way, now now you have to understand, these are intellectuals, right? You know what intellectuals are like, right? Right? And so the way they celebrated, they didn't go bowling, they didn't go hunting. The way they celebrated the birthday was all of them wrote a paper and came to the birthday, and they spent the weekend reading their papers to each other, and it was a very exciting time. Right, Eric? And Eric shared with me his paper that he wrote, and this was one of the sweetest things that Eric has ever done because he wrote a paper about how God does not owe us self-revelation. And why God would hide himself from man. You think about the testimony that that was to all of the proud intellectuals gathered that weekend. What a testimony it was to the proud intellectual known as Eric. How good to have an intellectual in our church who meditates on the character of God and his purposes in hiding himself from sinful man. 
Isn't that good? For an intellectual to focus on what he doesn't know and why he doesn't know it. And so I honor Eric for that. That was a wonderful gift to me. And here, David gives praise to God because he made known his ways to Moses and his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Is that the character that you as fathers have shown your children this week? Compassionate? Have you been compassionate with your household? Gracious? Have you been slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness this week? We've had a lot of family time this week. If not in person, on the phone, is that the character that you've shown? That's God. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. Oh, my. You think of how many families the father has a principle, and he goes to his grave with his principle. He keeps his anger forever. You're written out of the will. You may not visit me. You know? Fathers can be very good at keeping their anger. But God doesn't keep his anger. That's one of the precious promises in James where it says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of the Lord who provides bountifully, right? And then it says what? Without finding fault. <laughs> you know, you go to God and ask for his wisdom, and you're thinking to yourself, he don't, he don't owe me nothing. <laughs> you know, why would God give me wisdom? I don't deserve anything good from him. And then it says, without finding fault, that God gives us wisdom without finding fault. This is the kind of fathers we need to be. We don't always need to shove our sons and our daughters' noses in all the things that they've done wrong. Because can you imagine if they turned around and did that to us? Well, Dad, I'd like to give you a kiss good night, a hug good night, but before I do that, I would like to rehearse this day in your home. <laughs> That's what your wife does. But thank goodness your, your children don't. You guys never laugh. My wife doesn't do that to me, only sometimes, when I deserve it, all right? He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. In other words, God is not into reciprocity. God is not tit for tat. God is unbelievably gracious and generous. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. And do we have a lot of transgressions? So what are you focused on, your transgressions? Or are you focused on the fact that God has removed them as far as east is from the west, as far as the heavens are above the earth. Don't deny the character of God by being a, a penny counter about your own sins. Okay? Trust the character of God. Yes, you're a sinner, and God has removed it. Okay? And then my favorite, you already know this, like as a father pitieth his children. So the Lord pities them that fear him. Why? Oh, for he knows our frame that we are made of dust. And then it goes into the illustration of the grass. There's a plant, a flower in Mary's uh, flower bed 
that yesterday or today, when I walked from the house to the garage, that flower had died. It had been fine, and then it was flat. And that's the way life is. That's the way flower is. That's the way we are. We are dust, okay? And God knows that, and so he pities us. And he's very tender with us. He's very, very understanding of how weak we are. And we're weak. We're so weak. And God pities us. You know, one of the reasons I'm sorry, but I was just so disgusted with a lot of the discussion around the ADA Act American with disabilities, remember when they came through and they removed all the curbs and all the, they just absolutely remade America. And it was not that I wanted people in wheelchairs to, to have to be helped, but it was that I wanted people in wheelchairs to have to be helped because of the graciousness and, and tenderness towards one another that that elicited but oh boy, we're just determined that nobody will ever have to be pitied by anybody else. I don't want your pity. Well, what about God? Do you want God's pity? Do you want God's pity? You better believe you want God's pity. What do we want other than the pity of God? <laughs> you know? <laughs> Here I am, God. I don't need your pity. I mean, it's just ludicrous. Every one of us. As for man, his days are like grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. And when the wind has passed over, it is no more. This is us. Pew. You know? And its place acknowledges it no longer. As you get older, there's all these people that are gone that nobody even remembers. Godly people, nobody remembers. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But! So if that's the transitory, temporary, quickly gone nature of our life as man, what is it that's but? But! We die, we're dust, we're gone. Nobody remembers us. But, okay, what's the but? But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. You know, they say that there isn't uh, the immortality in the Old Testament. The statement I just read proves that the soul is immortal. Because the whole point is to say that we do die. But what? Contrary to our transitory nature, God's what? It says his loving kindness is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. So in other words, from eternity past to eternity to come, God's loving kindness is on us, those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. Don't you Baptists and don't you Presbyterians together, don't you ever fail to claim God's covenant promises for your children. To his children's children, okay? And then you know, the warning to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. To those who have faith in Jesus and live under his lordship. 
The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. So you see the theme? Beautiful promises, and then the Lord has established his throne. Beautiful promises to those who submit to him. The Lord has established his throne. Okay, we end with the authority of God. And then, based on the authority, he ends by saying, Bless the Lord, you his angels. Can you imagine a mortal man commanding the angels to bless God? Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all you hosts, his hosts, who, you who serve him doing his will. Bless the Lord, all you works of his, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. And that's where he ends with himself. Let's pray.